3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. You're joined here by me, Genevieve, Evie, and we've got Fong and Carnegie in the other room. It's the 9th of November, uh, currently sitting at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 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 How is everyone doing this morning? Uh, pretty struggling good. with hay fever. Intensely. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, have you seen all like the, the on the Melbourne Pollen app how like every day for the last seven days it's been like red, absolutely. Or yeah. <laughs> it's so so extreme, yeah. and the winds and like my eyes are like swollen. Things are rough, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Otherwise, great. Otherwise, <laughs> phenomenal. Have you been doing much um, getting out and seeing people this week? I've been doing too much of that. I've literally just, I've just finished my exams um, last week. And so I've just gone a little bit insane (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just like seen everyone. Cause I feel like I was just saying, oh, I'll see you after this. Oh, I'll see you after that. And just, it's just been boom, 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 boom. So I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Got to take time for yourself and recharge. I know. Also you want to see everyone at once. Yeah. I have noticed, though, a lot of people have been sharing in that, um, I guess, social exhaustion. Um, I've seen a lot of people posting about it <laughs> on social media, media kind of saying, is anyone else, like, kind of just want to go back home and, like, <laughs> curl up in a ball? It's because we've all been inside and we've all lost our socialising fitness. Mm, um, I've actually um, I've seen a lot of stuff um, from clinical like psychologists and things on Instagram and Twitter and stuff talking about like ex- exactly these kind of feelings. Um, there's uh, there is actually a psychologist that's been like doing like Instagram stuff during the pandemic. His name's Chris Cheers, um, nice. and, and just like talking about how like our post lockdown anxiety and how we're used to. You know, we spent like the last two years focusing on numbers and true kind of hyping it up in our head. And so I think like a lot of uh, like people's anxiety and going back out and socialising again is focused on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's really good. I'm actually going to put it in the show notes because it's very like sweet and empathetic and just like, you know, it's like, it's okay. It's normal. And also don't feel pressured to like push yourself right out there if you don't feel like it yeah because sometimes it feels really unexplainable like this the feeling of like uh (laughs) yeah feeling a bit worried or like you know unsure feeling I guess like you should be like grateful for Mm. Mm. us being open and everything but yeah I think you're not alone if you're feeling a little bit stressed out Mm. with it all um, all right. Well, as always, jam-packed show today. Very excited to get kicked um, off with it. Uh, Fung, you've got us started on some uh, Climate Summit stuff. Yes. So this week is the second week of COP26. So I just wanted to 
replay an interview that aired on Thursday breakfast on the 28th of October. Um, Rosie spoke with uh, Falole um, Tupuola um, from the Pacific Climate Warriors uh, to yeah speak about um, COP26 and also the need for Indigenous-led climate justice. After that, I'm going to play a conversation uh, from Democracy Now. Amy Goodman and um, Nameen Sheikh spoke with Fahana Yamin, who is a British um, climate lawyer. Um, and and this, yeah, yeah, um, Fahana is actually in Glasgow at the moment. So they speak about, yeah, the COP26 and also um, the climate crisis. So, yeah, those should be... Uh, a couple of really interesting conversations to get us started. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I'm going to speak with an artist uh, called Zoe, who's uh, Puerto Rican American and is going to be exhibiting her second solo show um, very shortly in Fitzroy, which kind of explores the themes we've all been through during lockdown, like depression and um, isolation. And it's called Sad World. So excited to talk to her about that. Mm, that sounds really good. Um, and Evie, you've uh, had a chat to someone this week. Yeah, so um, I also had a chat to Lee Ward of Sutwalk uh, 2021 um, and also one of the co-founders of Feminists United Australia. Um, so Sutwalk 2021 is going to be hosted right here on 3CR as a virtual rally. Uh, so we had a conversation about that. Yes, um, we'll be talking, we can bring more details about exactly what 3CR will be broadcasting as well later in the show. But right now we're going to go to a couple of announcements and we'll be back with the news headlines very shortly. 100 metres. 75 metres. 50 metres. 25 metres. 15 metres. 10 metres. 5 metres. Grass fires move faster than you think. How well do you know fire? Plan, act, survive. Go to vic.gov.au slash nofire. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Victoria, as we get ready to get back out there, you need to get your COVID-19 digital certificate ready too. First, create a MyGov account if you don't have one. Then, make sure your Medicare and MyGov accounts are linked. Then, add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Then get ready to go. Your vaccination is your ticket to everything you love and miss. For more on adding your vaccination certificate on your smartphone, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast. We're going to go ahead with some news headlines. Should we start off with uh, the Climate Summit? Yes. So, as I said earlier, this week is the second week of COP26 in Glasgow, and there is a lot of pressure on the Australian government to lift its 2030 emissions. Australia was one of the few countries to not increase its short-term pledge, rejecting direct calls from allies in Britain, the US, Europe and the Pacific. The Morrison government instead resubmitted their 2030 target set under Tony Abbott before the landmark Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, which is a 26 to 28 percent cut. Um, others, other countries that didn't update were 
Russia and Brazil. This year, the US has doubled its 2030 target and other G7 members all set goals of at least a 40% cut and India said it would have 50% renewable energy. Scott Morrison has announced an additional $500 million uh, climate finance commitment over five years, which is actually less than many um, comparable countries. A Greenpeace investigation last week found fewer than a quarter of designated Australian climate aid projects actually made any mention of climate change or environmental concerns, which is really worrying but Mm. not surprising. Um, of this country. So, yeah, I guess watch this space to see if um, if the Australian government will change and will update um, their goals. Uh, another thing to focus on with, the, um, with Australia's plans is, like, what they actually have plans in their target because a lot of their plans are, like, focused on technologies that we're not even using yet, so, like, carbon capture and storage and not actually even proven to be effective. So, yeah. Yeah. I, um, just, I love how Australia is just trying its best to get away with this, like, yes. absolute, like, you know, not even essentially a plan and everyone's like, oh, no, no, <laughs> do better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, th- there was something really good from um, COP26 that I saw, like, very effective messaging. Um, it was a video message sent by a representative from Tuvalu yes, where he I just had his, his podium where he was giving a speech, but it was, like, half underwater. Yeah, that was really powerful. Yeah, mm. I think it, like it really speaks to having to, to needing to listen to island nations who mm. are very much right now being affected by climate change. Yeah. And can I quickly plug um, if for the for listeners who didn't catch Monday breakfast yesterday, um, Jacob and Evan spoke with Dr. Emma Shortest from RMIT University, who is an expert on the US, and spoke about. Yeah, I guess Australia and the US at COP26. It was a really interesting and insightful conversation. So revisit that discussion if you didn't get a chance to listen yesterday. Definitely. Um, In other news, obviously, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, I'd be uh, very surprised if you even hadn't heard this story that um, the story of Cleo Smith, who was found last week, Um, An absolute uh, lovely story. Uh, This girl was missing for a few weeks and uh, Western Australia police put in a lot of uh, resources, time and effort to find her and uh, she was eventually found last week. And I think it really captivated people considering we'd been in lockdown, it'd been kind of a grim couple years, people love a good heartwarming story and not taking away from, um, I guess, the... Uh, amazing story that that is, but a few um, things have been circulating specifically on social media, but also the ABC News wrote uh, an article about, I guess, some of the comparisons to the Cleo Smith case and how a lot of Indigenous academics and Indigenous activists are calling for the treatment of Indigenous missing children cases uh, as equal. Um a very fair point, I think, and the article describes 
uh, that sadly not all who are searching for their missing children will experience the same outcome as Cleo Smith. Um, and witty Yamaji woman Kath Pinkerton says, it's all come back to us this week. I've quite a bit of trauma. So a lot of Indigenous people that I guess have experienced missing children have been, I think, quite triggered by this story. Um, some of the stats are First Nations kids make up a large proportion of children who go missing and almost 20% of missing children aged 13 and 17 are sorry, aged between the ages of 13 to 17 are Indigenous. And in Western Australia, uh, in 2013, 10-month-old Indigenous baby Charlie Boy Malali was tortured and killed after being kidnapped by his mum's former partner. Charlie's aunt, Miss Pickerton, says when the family went to the police, the response was not to the same scale as Cleo's disappearance. Miss Pinkerton said they looked at the mobile phone data in Cleo's case, and if they'd done that with Charlie, they'd have known where the car was that had him, and they knew he was in the car so there's also been a few other people uh calling out some quite obvious uh i guess discrimination towards first nations children um i'd highly recommend uh going on the twitter account of uh uh, human rights activist vanessa turnbull roberts who is a bunjalung woman uh, who describes herself as a survivor of the system. Uh, she says, for a lot of our children in care, they're subject to residential homes or they're going to temporary foster care homes and they're running away because they want to come home. She also said those reports are being taken seriously and when police intervention takes place, our young kids are more criminalised than they are provided with care or proper support. It, there's also a, a lot of criticism, and rightfully so, of um, the use of WA police's um, social media channels to talk about this case um, and the ways in which they do it compared to um, ways in which they've been heavy-handed in the past. Uh, I mean, in June last year, um, a WA police officer escaped sanction for force against an Indigenous boy in prison. Um, CCTV in that case revealed that a Perth officer dragged a handcuffed teenager to the ground and, you know, he hit his head in an incredibly dangerous way. Um, WA police has come under scrutiny many times for either excessive force against children or uh, young people um, under arrest um, and, you know, in their behaviour in uh, arresting people. Um, And a lot of the um, images used um, to depict Chloe's rescue uh, have been criticised as almost like a a sort of white saviour depiction. Um, There was one particularly... um, bad cartoon um in a WA paper that I saw that depicted like one of the police officers as Superman. Mm. Oh, it's no. like <laughs> Yeah, so it's always good to sort of think of the ways in which um both the media as well as the police mm. depict these things. Yeah, I think a good observation as well um that uh Jacinta Krakoa, who's a Nunga woman and social worker Uh, said that, you know, generally there is a different response from the public when it comes to children, um, specifically Indigenous children. And she said a lot of parents can't relate to uh, an Indigenous child going missing, particularly a lot of non-Indigenous parents who have not had their children removed. Uh, But with Cleo, we could see a lot of parents that could relate. So I guess even bringing it back to the fact that, like, you know, in, because Indigenous children go missing all the time and because there is this kind of 
uh, routine response to that. We're kind of just in this habitual habit of this is how we respond to non-Indigenous children, this is how we respond to Indigenous children. Um, But I do think it's a really good conversation that's starting to happen um, surrounding this. So um, it's a really good opportunity to, I guess, uh, read a bit more and listen to Indigenous voices. Yeah, I think Amy McGuire, who's a journalist, um, Indigenous woman, also wrote a really good article um, where she kind of goes delves into why it is that we see Indigenous kids differently to white children. And she talks about how um, the violence is more invisible to white people as opposed to Indigenous people who know and can see and who are fighting that kind of violence every single day in society. Um, And that kind of violence is not acknowledged in kind of the broader discussion which affects um, the missing kids and what and the, what the word missing even means to Indigenous families because they've had their kids taken from them, mm. you know, since colonization began. Um, and so missing can mean that they're just missing from their family, um, not necessarily, you know, from a foster home that they're in or from um, care that they're under. Uh, so there's lots of subtle and very important um differences that I think, you know, change the way we view Indigenous kids. Um, And I think it's a really good read. So we'll pop that link in the show notes as well. For sure. Um, All right, moving on. Do we want to talk about the post-lockdown exhaustion and fears? Whoever. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. I can talk about... Oh, yeah. That, that, that was basically... That's the same um, thing I was talking about earlier, which is yeah. just that, um, you know, a psychologist trying to reassure people about, um, you know, their, their various feelings uh, when it comes to lockdown. It, it's a good conversation to have with your friends as well, um, just so you're both... Like, because I think a lot of people can feel a bit paranoid that, mm. well, if I'm feeling tired and I feel like I'm all burnt out, from like the first bits of social interaction. I don't want my friends to think that I don't want to see them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like have those conversations with your friends, um, whether it be through Zoom or just mm. through in person um, and just, yeah, like you're not alone in how weird this sort of post-pandemic world is. Yeah, definitely. And I just wanted to quickly mention as well, considering that, we did talk to Sister Hub, which uh, is running pop-up vaccination clinics, um, and I think they've got one in Sunshine uh, this week. Um, but a news article came out that more than 60% of people who are visiting specifically the Melbourne Vaccination Hub did not have a Medicare card, which is prompting that the majority of them are either homeless or um, from uh, or have immigrated to Australia and uh, were not born in Australia. Um, so, you know, it kind of just shows that these hubs are really, really important for people to access them who are not, um, I guess, whose English, English is not their preferred language or who don't don't have a Medicare card or who don't feel comfortable going to the big uh, vaccination hubs um, in other areas. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend if you wanted to check out Sister Hub, uh, you can look them up on Instagram. Uh, and you mentioned, um, you know, the pop-up vax clinics. Um, a Thursday Breakfast spoke to Mama Alto about mm. Fab Jab Week um, the other week. Um, Queer Space Drummond Street is actually going to be doing their pop-up vax clinic once again, round two, 
Um, that's going from the 9th to the 12th um, of November from 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 100 Drummond Street, Carlton. So it's not just uh, – it's walk-ins are welcome. It's not just there if you um, want to get a vax. You can also um, – Ask some questions about, you know, the vaccine if you're a bit worried about it or if you're feeling like, you know, if you want to get, you know, specific health care in a safe environment that's friendly to LGBTQIA plus people. Um, it's in coordination with Transgender Victoria, You Support and Advocacy Service, Odyssey House Victoria and CoHealth. So, yeah, that's really fantastic. Cool. All right, I think that's it for the news headlines today. I'm going to jump into a track before we launch into our uh, interviews and discussions. So I decided um, to play an Amy Winehouse track because recently they actually auctioned off uh, one of her dresses that she wore in her last performance um, to raise money for young young people with addiction problems, which is the charity that her parents set up after she passed away. Um, This is one of my favourite songs off uh, her first album, which was Frank, and it's called You Sent Me Flying. Why you were thinking I didn't have a clue Tough to sort files With your voice in my head So then I bribed you downstairs With a Marlboro Red So small discovering you knew How much more torture you have put me through You probably saw me laughing at all your jokes Or how I did not mind when you stole all my smokes, yeah Yeah. 
his message was brutal But the delivery was kind Just playing underneath there is Amy Winehouse. That was... <laughs> Sorry. Then it ran to an ad. Um, Amy Winehouse with uh, her song from her first album, You Sent Me Flying. So in light of it being uh, still COP26 in Glasgow, we would like to revisit a discussion that Rosie from Thursday Breakfast had with Fulole Asuo Segele Tupuola, Pacific Climate Warriors Co- Coordinator for so-called Victoria in this country. They discuss COP26 and the need for climate justice led by Indigenous communities around the world. Fulole begins by introducing themselves and telling listeners more about the Pacific Climate Warriors. So I am part of a grassroots youth-led network of 18 ocean nations and diaspora across Aotearoa, Little Island, and here in so-called Australia. And together we make up Pacific Climate Warriors. Since 2014, uh, we have been mobilizing, organizing, and training uh, the Pacific people's and diaspora on taking leadership on the climate crisis that is greatly caused by the fossil fuel industry uh, in the Moana. So we are a volunteer branch to 350 Pacific and the global uh, 350 org movement. Uh, For us, we fight to keep all fossil fuels in the ground, a just transition to renewable energy and to cut uh, the flow of fossil fuel finances. And the very core of our work and how we move uh, in this well in this space is really rooted in our Pacific cultures and our frontline truths. 
which is our stories. Mm. So, yeah, that's us. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Um, yeah, you were just talking there about a just transition and also, yeah, um, kind of moving and working uh, in, in your truth. I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about, so COP26, um, for those who don't know, the Conference of Parties 26, which is this global summit on climate change that's happening. Um, I think it begins on Sunday in Glasgow in the UK. Uh, could you just speak a little bit about both the significance of this summit, um, but also the importance of amplifying Indigenous voices in summits like this and also just in climate activism more broadly? Uh, definitely. So as a Pacific region, uh, us peoples have continued to show up together, uh, displaying true representation and solidarity as Pacific peoples who... Uh, in climate change spaces are silenced and greatly ignored around global negotiations on climate change. And, you know, when we look at our brothers and sisters from the Marshall Islands, they were the ones who pushed so hard and they led the call to action on the 1.5 Paris Agreement. Um, and our youth elder and Samoan sister, Brianna Frulin, who has been showing up in cop spaces with a red flower, or uh, we, I guess in Polynesian terms we call it a say, um, at such a young age, and for her to do so in resistance and defiance of Pacific invisibility and to stand in pride of her cultural roots. And so that has inspired the Pacific Climate Warriors campaigns um, for COP uh, called the Have Your Say back in 2017. Uh, COP uh, is a very complex, uh, as like COP and G20, is a very complex and very draining and frustrating space for Pacific peoples mm. and Indigenous peoples. Uh, we keep thriving, but we keep thriving and demanding year by year that for the world to truly solve climate change, they must step back and listen and that climate change is Indigenous leadership and is Indigenous justice. And it's so crucial to stand in solidarity, um, such as, you know, our deadly sister and First Nations activist, uh, Millie Telford from Seed Mob, uh, uh, to, you know, the traditional owners of the Wangan and Jangalungu uh, mob, Cody, uh, who are uh, fighting against the illegal Dan coal mine, and out to, you know, the Torres Strait Islander Yessi, who is one of the many Torres Strait 8 complainants who have sent a case against the Australian government to the UN and, most importantly, the Free West Papua Movement. And so, you know, right now we are really at a major tipping point and it's really now uh, for Indigenous voices and especially young people to be leading the recent IPCC report uh, was really not a surprise for the Pacific because we have been addressing this uh, to global leaders and to the world time and time again. And, you know, we have really been demanding real climate actions. And so COP is so, impo so important for there to be a global shift for accountability and uh, for all Pacific and Indigenous people to be listened to on climate change. 
yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, just thank you so much. Such a powerful answer, honestly, to that question. I was going to ask another question because one of the slogans um, that you have is this idea of we're not drowning, we are fighting. But I feel like you just spoke so well to that power and like um, a, a story that's not about victimization, but actually about fight and about um, power and those like lines of solidarity as well between First Nations and Pacific people. Um, so maybe I'll just ask you, uh, we mentioned in our news headlines today, and I'm sure many listeners know that um, the Morrison government, you know, recently and kind of finally committed to this net zero target by 2050, but, um, and they'll be going to COP26 with that, but they haven't set a new uh, 2030 target and they haven't really given much detail about how net zero will be achieved um, yeah. and how that target will be met. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, you know, what what would you hope for a target like and what kind of key policies do you think um a country like so called australia should be should be working towards and how could we meet targets that would actually affect change in this area mm. um talking i guess just a bit briefly about uh that narrative of victimization that seems to always be put over pacific uh really undermines the extreme hard work that Pacific peoples on the mm. front lines are leading in combating uh, uh, this issue. And so it's very toxic for global leaders to keep painting us with the same brush for their own narrative. Mm. And, um, you know, with the Morrison government um, committed uh, to taking up to COP26, um, what they are addressing over there is a complete disappointment. Their delivery is yet again filled with, you know, misleading information, language, greenwashing, um, ignoring, you know, the scientific evidence and also ignoring uh, the call for action and the solutions from the Pacific who have always been so, you know, so so welcoming um, to the Morrison government, such as the Pacific Island Forum. Mm. And so, you know, the government must end this bleaching relationship and outdated reliability with the fossil fuel uh, lobbying. Um, we are already seeing the student strike movement making such huge noise towards their leaders. And so when Skomo attends COP, he and each and every one of his Australian delegates must listen to the Youthful Pacific Declaration um, that will be delivered, and as well as the Pacific delegates there in Glasgow, um, to listen to the seven demands on climate change from the Pacific and Pacific diaspora young peoples. You know, those demands cover the push for youth leadership um, and a real engagement of youth on climate change. And together with all global leaders, uh, we are calling for an immediate curb on carbon emissions by at least half by 2030 uh, through, you know, a very just and urgent transition from uh, fossil fuels to renewable energy and to recognise that traditional environmental knowledge is so important and so needed to evolve uh, in designing ocean policies. Um, and there is great financial transparency with the Santiago network and ensuring that, you know, there is grant distribution, not this apathetic loan mm. uh, that seems to be uh, put out uh, <laughs> to the Pacific, um, which is really uh, not allowing, uh, you know, these grants to be going to these uh, community-led um, programs. 
and as well as adjust people's recovery, which ends fossil fuel and financing and shifting away from, you know, this really extractive economies uh, to a more constructive um, where it recognized uh, by, you know, the Pacific cultures. And so really it's amplifying the call for action. And I want to see real commitment on climate leadership, on really transitioning from global extractive economies to a a local living economy that is really all connected and rooted on shared values of dignity and solidarity and 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 respect and um yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's totally. I, I wanted to actually follow up because, yeah, so some of what you were talking about there is part of the Youth for Pacific Declaration on Climate Change, which is um, going to be presented at COP26 uh, by um, the network that you work with and the Pacific okay. Climate Warriors. Could you talk a bit, a bit about that campaign and also the Have Your Say um, campaign just to wrap us up? Uh, most definitely. So last month, Pacific Climate Warriors launched a Youth for Pacific pre-COP gathering um, online, and more than 630 Pacific peoples and diaspora came together worldwide to collaborate and unify youth advocacy and engagement in climate policy in the lead-up to Glasgow. And the outcome was this beautiful creation of the Declaration on Climate Change, which really serves as the voice of young people in the Pacific and will be championed by uh, Pacific Youth representatives who will hand deliver to our leaders there in COP. So this is all about building ambition, building community, building skills, and really building Pacific power. And as I mentioned about the inspiration and creation of the Have Your Say campaign, the Warriors are relaunching it this year to... Uh, to resonate and build the same momentum and strength from all peoples and all allies to sign the declaration and to have a say. And so there is a, a, a seven-day challenge during the Global Week of Actions next week, um, and it's really to get people moving, get creative, and to support uh, the signing. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be uh, really loud. Yeah, and so listeners can find out more about that seven-day challenge on the 350.org website. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so you can also uh, find us um, on all social media platforms. That was Folole Asuo Sagela Tupuola speaking with Rosie from Thursday Breakfast about uh, the Pacific Climate Warriors, um, Indigenous-led climate action and COP26. I'm Join the global slut walk movement to end slut shaming and victim blaming. Tune in to 3CR on Saturday, November 13th at 1pm. Turn it up loud and let speeches fill the streets. Tell the world, even in pandemic, we will not be silenced. Slut walk is a controversial name not a controversial message.
We're now going to go to another song. This one is from TK Maidza, who was born in Zimbabwe and moved to so-called Australia at a young age and is now a very well-known singer-songwriter and rapper. This song is from her latest EP, Last Year Was Weird, Volume 3, and it's called Kashmir. Kashmir by TK Maidza. You're listening to 3CR. It's time to speak up, speak out and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. 
Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. Environmental Film Festival Australia is back for 2021. This year's digital festival invites you to take a journey with a series of thought-provoking films, documentaries and shorts. Effort 21 invites you to explore the world and connect with environmental issues beyond the headlines. Take a journey into the deepest seas, up awe-inspiring mountains and into the lives of those fighting to save our planet. Running from October 14 to November 14, visit effa.org.au for more. The Environmental Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR. Um, So today on the show we have um, artist... Uh, visual artist Zoe, who is Puerto Rican American and has lived in Melbourne since 2018. Um, she Her work is driven by her desire to carve out a space in the world that accurately represents who she is and to create diversity in what it means to be a woman of color. Uh, she is about to exhibit her second solo exhibition, Sad World, an ode to feeling a bit sad and a bit fucking insane after the last two years. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> I love that description so much. Oh, thanks. It's, um, it's true. <laughs> it, it is true. I feel the same sentiment. Um, so would you mind giving us a little bit of uh, background about yourself and um, how you came t- to be in Melbourne? Uh, yeah. Um, well, how I came to be in Melbourne, I feel like I got here because I was in a quarter-life crisis at home, and I felt like I needed to just do something a bit different. Um, And I came here mostly to just try and and do art. Um, So the first year that I was here, I put on my first exhibition. Um, And then ever since then, I've just kind of been brewing, thinking of different ideas. And obviously, COVID happened, and that put a lot of stuff on hold. So... I'm really excited to to do this show and show everyone what I've been working on for the last few years. Yeah, um, so you, you use your art as social commentary. And as I mentioned earlier, it's um, through the lens of, of course, being a woman of colour. Um, mm. Can you tell us a bit about how being a woman of colour impacts the commentary in your art? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like... I feel like I don't necessarily think about how I'm going to make my work um, be about me being a woman of color. I just, I just am one. So, so everything that I do is always going to be through that lens. And I try to just keep that in mind. I just share whatever it is that I feel like sharing. And no matter what I share, it will always, it will always be through that lens. I guess until things maybe change a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, personal experience is always a huge part of art. Um, how has your personal experience of COVID impacted your art over this time? Yeah, the the whole show is pretty much about my experience of COVID in a way, and and also everyone else's around me. I think um, the last few years have been like some of the hardest two years of my whole life, and I don't I don't think that um, COVID happening is you know has nothing to do with that, um, and. So the work is definitely informed by it, like all of all of the things that I've been feeling over the last few years, like the depression. I've been a home. I've been away from home, so like extreme homesickness and like just feeling like I have no idea what is going on. <laughs> all of that is kind of poured into these paintings, and I really hope that when people come and look at them, they can see themselves in them. Yeah, your um, event says that the sort of main themes were depression, homesickness, and loneliness, which yeah. I think, yeah, are common themes. Um, but I think it's especially hard when your family is in, you know, a whole different country and there's no kind of avenue or option to go there. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how so did creating this art sort of help you process your own changing feelings about the pandemic and and your own loneliness and homesickness yeah i think it was the only thing that kept kept me afloat <laughs> um it was it, it definitely helped me process i do a lot of journaling and um and i usually like draw alongside journaling so i think somehow it's all connected um and in a lot of ways, like the imagery, it's interesting. Like, I don't really know where it comes from. I just know that it's connected to this, like, process of me dealing with whatever I need to deal with. <laughs> yeah, and and I think, like, the genres of kind of, you know, surrealist art as well helps doing that because it's it's a little more subtle the way that it comes out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... but. There are, like, I think there are general themes, and it's interesting, like, when I sit back and I, I look at the paintings um, after making them or after coming up with a concept, um, I I only then kind of, like, realize what it's about. But I, <laughs> I think, like, the process of making it, like you said, it's kind of just me working things out, and it just kind of comes out naturally, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think art like that as well helps a lot of people feel connected in a time where that's a little bit hard. Mm, yes, definitely. Um, you also said that uh, this show is an ode to the sadness that we're all collectively feeling, despite being quote-unquote free again, um, and it is an acknowledgement of the end of an era for the Melbourne community. I was wondering if you could just expand a little bit more on that sentiment. Yeah, um, I think that the the general vibe that I'm feeling, like when I talk to people and just the energy that I get when I'm out and around others is that there is this kind of sad weight attached to everyone. And I think that's totally normal and, and acceptable considering everything we've been through and also considering that we have to go out into the world and 
go back to quote unquote normal without any time to really assess how we've been feeling as like a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I wanted this show to be kind of a space where people can come and just kind of reflect on that a little bit. And, and maybe even it'll spark conversations with their friends or whatever. And, and they can talk about, you know, how they're really feeling, even despite the fact that we, I guess, are kind of slightly pressured to feel like we're supposed to feel really good right now um, because everything's back. But, you know, I I just can't help but think that that's just not the case (laughs) in the reality. Um, And, um, yeah, this kind of ode idea is really just a, you know, Melbourne went through, like, a collective experience together. We we went through a really intense experience and... um, even though it was really hard, I think that there's like a lot of beautiful things that come out of difficulty. And, um, I guess, again, like I just want the the show to have people reflect on that as well. And, you know, just do, I don't know, just do a bit of, um, a bit of thinking together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we were just having a chat this morning on the show, um, saying that, you know, it's very overwhelming to be quote unquote free. Um, it's not necessarily that you can just go from zero to a hundred. Um, you know, people need space to, to process what they've been through for essentially the last two years. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. It was, you know, we were all in isolation, but it is a collective experience. Yeah. 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 And I think there'd be something really nice about kind of having people come together to think about that while also doing something really fun. Um, because it's like we all have kind of been aching for this community and like sense of fun. And I just want to, I wanted to make a night where that's just, that's the theme. Well, that sounds absolutely beautiful, to be honest. Um, Opening night for Sad World is coming up on Friday, the 3rd of December at Era 404 in Fitzroy North. Um, And there's going to be free food and cheap drinks and epic music by Coming. Um, yeah, that's right. So we'll pop the link to register for that. Um, and it's a free show, is that right? Cool. Yeah, so um, we'll pop the link for that into our show notes as well. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> I feel like I can't hear you. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. <laughs> okay, not sure what happened there. Um, but yeah, I was just saying that we will pop um, the link for the event into our show notes today. Um, and yeah, thank you so, so much for joining us this morning, Zoe. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. See ya. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Zoe, um, who is going to be exhibiting her second solo show called Sad World, uh, very soon on the 3rd of December. Um, make sure to get your tickets to that. We'll pop the link in our show notes later today and we will be right back after this. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter.
Welcome back to 3CR. Next up, we have a song by Komang. The song is called Flex, and Komang will actually be playing at Zoe's show on the 3rd of December. Um, she is a Nam-based vocalist and producer who is whose music is um, inspired by her Balinese heritage to create vibrant electronic R&B described as neo-soul with Balinese spirit. This is Flex.
So that was Flex by Komang. To continue the theme of COP26, we would now like to play for you an interview between Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman, uh, Namain Sheikh, and climate lawyer Fahana Yamin, who is currently in Glasgow for the Climate Summit. Fahana Yamin is an internationally recognised environmental lawyer, climate change and development policy expert. She has advised leaders and ministers on climate negotiations for 30 years, re- representing small islands and Developing countries and has attended nearly every major climate summit since 1991. This interview aired on Democracy Now! on uh, the 4th of November. This is Democracy Now. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. As closed-door negotiations continue at the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow, climate justice activists are taking to the streets outside the COP, demanding the United States and other large polluters agree to drastic cuts in carbon emissions to save the world from a climate catastrophe. On Wednesday, police arrested at least five people as hundreds of Extinction Rebellion members held a protest against corporate greenwashing at the COP. We turn now to one of the most prominent climate lawyers in Britain, who's been deeply involved in international climate negotiations for decades, but is also engaged in direct action to affect change. Farhana Yasmin, uh, Farhana Yamin is in Glasgow, where she's working with the Climate Vulnerable Forum, a group that represents 48 of the countries most threatened by the climate crisis. We last spoke with her in 2019, after she was was arrested for supergluing her hands to the ground outside Shell's headquarters in London as part of an Extinction Rebellion action. Stop lobbying governments to delay action. Please prove to me that the legal process is pretty broken right now. And we're having to break law rather than make law because of the inaction of 30 years now of these companies. That was Farhana Yamin in 2019. She's joining us now in front of the rotating globe suspended over the UN Climate Assembly in Glasgow, Scotland. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Farhana. It's great to have you with us as we watched you uh, in that action. Talk about what it means to be out on the streets, supergluing yourself, protesting the fossil fuel giant shell, and then being inside. You're passing, I assume, many of those same fossil fuel lobbyists, but your two-pronged approach, inside and outside, as you help to negotiate the Paris Climate Agreement. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me back. Um, I really salute all those who are taking the actions in the streets and uh, demanding real accountability, demanding climate justice. Climate justice, you know, my nerdy legal self, uh, is actually in the Paris Agreement. It's a paragraph here in the preamble. We're trying to make good on that uh, preamble or paragraph, and we're trying to hold, you know, corporations and countries to account. Uh, the net zero emissions goal, which was a very important goal, is not just greenwash. It has to be made good. It has to have emissions that are real, and those emissions cannot be bought at the expense of vulnerable people and, and, and countries, in effect, displacing uh, emissions, and they must have strong accountability for their actions, which must result in actual changes, not just, as I said, greenwashing and buying offsets from others. Farhana, as we mentioned, Extinction Rebellion... Uh 
members, Extinction uh, Rebellion members, have been protesting against corporate greenwashing at the COP. Could you explain what historically the role of corporations has been in these uh, climate uh, conferences and uh, the fact that some of the largest oil, gas and coal producers have yet to outline uh, how they intend to, to decrease fossil fuel use? Well, the, the, the role historically of the large oil and gas uh, companies has been to lobby countries to delay action to stop the science being acted on. And that's what's happened for 30 years. And the frustration that I had, you know, back in 2019 was to see how well organized, how well funded, how well orchestrated that lobbying, marketing, uh, behind the scenes manipulation was that has resulted in the delays here. So I'm very happy that groups like Extinction Rebellion and many others are now outing these companies. And we are learning more and more through investigative journalism of the role that has been played in styming action by these companies. So I really welcome you know, a torch being shone on their very clever uh, orchestration. And it's time also that you know, uh, advertising companies, the Edelmans of the world, the, the PR marketing and other professions that are aiding and abetting this uh, ob obstruction, it's time that they realize that those uh, uh, delays that have resulted have also uh, resulted from their own actions. You know, you cannot now accept clients who are basically putting the earth at p in peril uh, as clients and still say that you support sustainability. Well, in uh, uh, August, uh, the IPCC report uh, was quite uh, uh, staggering uh, in its uh, warnings about what uh, the world will face if extremely swift and large-scale actions are not needed. Uh, the UN uh, Secretary General called this a code red, uh, called the report code red for humanity. You've attended 23 uh, of the 25 uh, uh, COPs. What have you seen change uh, as the urgency of the situation has so manifestly uh, grown? Yeah, it's 24 out of 26, but... What's changed for me is actually a huge amount of energy, a huge appetite for uh, change and a demand for action coming from our young people, from our indigenous people, from women, from uh, our trade union, from workers from around the world. Uh, and, and that is being stymied, is being stopped and is not coming into uh, the energy that's needed in this room. I stress the word energy because today's energy day and the energy that we need is political energy because it's really the politicians who are behind uh, the science, the politicians are listening and in the pockets sometimes of uh, the, the vested interests that I spoke about from the fossil fuel industry to large agribusiness uh, and I think that that's what has shifted here is that realisation that we have to act together and these corporations, those who are most powerful, especially the G20 countries, they have to act and they cannot hide behind uh, any more excuses. Farhana Yameen, in 2015, you helped negotiate that landmark Paris Agreement. Um, president Biden, when he was at COP this week, apologized for the previous president, Trump, pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement. What message do you have now for the U.S. Congress, where you see this major um, 
division within the Democratic Party, let alone the Republicans, um, around the issue of a Green New Deal and providing enough money to um, transition the U.S. off of fossil fuels. What message do you have for them right now uh, among those Senator Manchin, who is the largest oil, gas and coal recipient of campaign funds in the U.S. Congress, who has almost single-handedly stopped um, the climate accord in Congress from moving forward? Well, we can only appeal to all of those in Congress, including uh, the senator who uh, must listen to his conscience, must not only put his constituents' uh, 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 short-term interests, but listen uh, very much to the, to the hearts and pleas of all of those who are gathered here and help the U.S. retain its credibility. We know that the U.S. wants to do the right thing, but we would like the U.S. government to be more joined up here and to deliver on the financial uh, pledges and to deliver on action uh, at home. And the U.S. is an incredible leader and it needs to regain the trust and, and, and work as an ally with others. So I appeal to his constituents directly to please, uh, you know, uh, lobby him instead of him being lobbied by the fossil fuel industries and receiving this money. I would urge all of those uh, citizens in the rest of the U.S. to pile in uh, and put the pressure on because it really matters. The U.S. really matters and its delivery on its promises, its pledges really matter here. And Farhana Yamin, finally, uh, before we conclude, talk about the work that you're doing with the uh, Climate Vulnerable Forum. We were just speaking to former Maldives President uh, uh, Nasheed, uh, and the Maldives were, was, of course, one of the founding members. Uh, could you explain the work that you're doing with this group? Well, we've um, been working to get the whole of this conference to ex adopt a climate, climate emergency pact framing that delivers on uh, an annual year-by-year -year ambition cycle instead of the five-year cycle that we had in Paris to deliver on the 500 billion, which is the total sum if you add up uh, what was owed from 2020 to 2024. Uh, we want the money to go to adaptation, which is basically a Cinderella still, and for the money to go 50-50 to mitigation and adaptation. And lastly, to also fund uh, uh, and recognize the harm that's already happening. And again, uh, to fulfill the promise of Article 8 here on loss and damage. So the earth is, you know, requiring us to repair the harm done. And we would like this conference to acknowledge that harm is happening and to fund and support uh, the, 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 the pillars of the Paris Agreement that are about loss and damage. Rahani Amin, we want to thank you for being with us, international environmental lawyer who helped write the landmark 2015 Paris Agreement. That was Fahana Yamin speaking with um, Amy Goodman and Nameen Shaikh on Democracy Now. You can tune into the show here on 3CR every Monday from 9 to 10 a.m.
We're going to jump into a track now, and this one is particularly exciting as it's a new song from Camp Cope. It's actually their new first song uh, in three years, and it was literally, it's fresh off the press. It was released uh, last night. Uh, I have to say, I haven't even listened to it, so I'm very excited to tune in to it now. Uh, It's titled Blue. Checking if you're cold, I'm double texting I've never been cool, no burn that bridge when I got to it. Yeah, I'm on fire. It's all That is the brand new track from Camp Cope called Blue. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao 
and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. So this week I spoke to Lee Ward, who is one of the organisers of Slut Walk 2021, and she's also one of the co-founders of Feminists United Australia. We had a chat about the upcoming Slut Walk virtual rally this weekend. It's happening on 3CR. Uh, a warning to our listeners that we do make reference to sexual assault and harassment, but no graphic references. But if that's not your cup of tea, please rejoin us in another 10 minutes. Lee Ward is the founder of Feminists United Australia. She's also a writer, a spokesperson and an organiser for the global slut walk movement in Australia, which demands an end to slut shaming, victim blaming and rape culture. This year, Slut Walk NAM celebrates its 11th consecutive Slut Walk in Melbourne. As they did last year, the celebration is going to be a virtual event hosted right here on 3CR. Lee joins us on the show today to talk about the event. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us about the event that's happening this year? It's happening this weekend, in fact. Yeah. So as you already mentioned, 3CR is very generously hosting Slutwalks Rally in their studios. The formidable Aretha Brown, Sassy Sin and Merv Taylor are hosting. And we are hearing speeches from author and sexpert Eva Sless, the incredible Queenie Bonbon and Dr Blair Taylor. Uh, Dr. Taylor is a political scientist who looks at gendered media coverage in, of women's in politics, which is obviously quite pertinent this year. Uh, the format's slightly different. The, the hosts will all be sort of chatting amongst themselves, like discussing the speeches, you know, a little bit of discourse, a bit of music, and hopefully lots and lots of fun. Um, hopefully we'll get some pubs to also stream the, the rally and their patrons can have a bit of a listen and a bit of a... Slut party in the beer garden. <laughs> That's great. That's really fantastic. It's so it's still trying to keep it a community event, even though you know, uh, as we were last year, there's still like some sort of limitations as well that we can have on public rallies, but um, still keeping that community atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It sort of feels like just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should. Yeah. And with an event like this, we just sort of feel like safety first is a bit more of a priority, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially, like, people are still feeling a bit, you know, hesitant to get together in, like, really big spaces. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So what makes Slut Walk relevant and still necessary in 2021? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, do we start with Christian Porter or do we start with Craig McLaughlin or do we start with, like, the full decrim that isn't full decrim or do we start with lambing or Setka or Brittany Higgins, like... It seems it's... like a long list. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I can't believe that this is all within the one year. It's, it, it's outrageous. And we've got, like, thankfully the Let Us Speak laws were sort of re repealed, but only after so much fighting for it. But now that we're looking at the defamation laws and there's an incredible campaign by Nita Funnel who's raising funds are to support folk who have been affected by the defamation laws. And the, the fact that these defamation laws in the context of sexual violence only protect, they, they only protect the perpetrators of abuse. They, 
they do nothing to support victim survivors at all. It, it really seems that way. We've had so many high-profile um, defamation cases involving either sexual assault or sexual harassment victims who have had no other forms of recourse um, and trying to come up against someone who is much wealthier and much more powerful um, yeah. and just realising that there's limitations on what they can do and – uh, I think, you know, in, in as you said, in 2021, it does seem like there's so much work to do still. Yeah, so much. So much. Uh, can you speak a bit more about, um, I guess, um, Slutwalk's um, support and involvement of sex work decrim in Victoria? Oh, well, we've we've always been advocates for the full decriminalisation of sex work. Um, we always having sex worker voices at our rallies, sharing and promoting um, all of their events. Uh, promoting their um, fundraisers and that kind of thing. Um, it's just, it seems like one of those things that's wild to not support. Yeah. Just al- always platforming sex workers and sex worker voices themselves as opposed to like talking constantly about swerfs. Yes. If that if that makes sense. I feel like if, the more that we, we platform the anti-sex work re- rhetoric, the worse it is for sex workers. So, you know, promote and empower those people in those communities and ensure that their voices are heard and that we understand that sex work is work. It's it's bizarre to me that people can be a unionist and anti-sex work at the same time. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, like the fundamental thing of um, decriminalising to me is recognising it as a job and something that where workers should be protected. Absolutely. And, and influencing that kind of policy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to think that we do that and that we we promote that that talking point. It's certainly our intent anyway. Slutwalk's been going for 11 years now. That's a remarkable period of time. I remember the first or second Slutwalk when I first moved to Melbourne. So it's it's been around for as long as I've been here. Um, I, you know, I've known friends who have worked on the campaign, who've gone to rallies. Can you talk about, like, the friends you've made, the kind of memories you have um you know, in Slut Walk and just like, you know, as a formidable movement in Melbourne. Uh, I, yeah, look, it's fantastic. And it really is. Uh, so Jessamy Gleason, who's one of the, one of the past organisers, we refer to her as like our fairy slut mother. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like the, every, if you've ever been involved in a Slut Walk, you're immediately family. Mm. If that makes sense, like, and around the world as well. Like, um, I've been speaking to folk from like Canada, um, North America, Germany. I just have friends everywhere, <laughs> like Hong Kong, Johannesburg. Like it's just this incredible community of people who really can identify that, first of all, empowerment is so important, that uh, decimating rape culture, getting into getting rid of victim blaming and slut shaming is so crucial to the empowerment of victim survivors. And that empowerment needs to come first. Like, there's no point having laws if people don't feel empowered or emboldened to access them. Yeah. Obviously, the law courts and things like that is a completely other story. But, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Like, the rally, I think it was 2019 when we were allowed to have them. I remember um, someone was coming to the rally and they were really anxious about participating and they came to our little workshop beforehand and got them a cup of tea and had a chat and, you know help them with their breathing and things. And by the end of it, they had their top off and they were waving their flag. And, oh, my God, it was incredible. <laughs> That's so great. It's just such an incredible movement. Something I also really like about the evolution of Slutwalk is that I think 
a lot of the language and the participation around slut walk has changed over time. Um, I remember, and this is just sort of my earlier experience with slut walk, is that I always used to wonder whether someone like me, who's, you know, not a person of colour, it was particularly, you know, someone who is part of the movement, because at first it sort of seemed a bit, you know, I wasn't sure if it was something that was... Porcelain white? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I was trying to put it in as best a frame as possible, but yes. Uh, But, like, look, it it is amazing to me how it seems to, like, it it feels like Slutwalk is centering the experiences of everyone in as, you know, an intersectional welcoming way as possible. Look, we do our best. We're we're a group of volunteers. Um, We have a lot of sort of like I'm an an ex-psych nurse. We've got photographers and we've got social workers and lots we've actually got a few like first nations people in our collective which i think would surprise some people um just because of that white sort of like we do get treated and sort of tarred with this brush of feminism from 10 years ago and i think that we do need to remember that like people evolve and people grow and they learn from their mistakes and we get a better perspective and you know white feminism is really bad <laughs> like when you <laughs> when you are like just a white cis woman who sort of stands up and waves sort of you know waves your banner and just like I'm a feminist and but d- does nothing else with it like if you've got the whiteness and you've got the voice and you've got the privilege and you can use it to support and empower other people I think that's a good use of your whiteness but but if you're like just sort of like sort of pushing other people away so that you can get to the front of the rally so that everyone could hear you speak. That's not what Slut Walk's about. Yeah, it's about the collective as opposed to who's at the front of the rally. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's about all voices, not just, you know, me or you or someone else. Like it's not even just about First Nations people or just about disabled people. It's about how those intersects of oppression affect us and how we can actually support and, and empower each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of the rally that's happening this weekend, what can people do to participate? I know you mentioned that there's going to be a lot of speakers um, chatting to you on 3CR over the course of the day. Can people call in? I should probably tell you when it is. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, look, that's a great idea. <laughs> so it's on <laughs> sorry, it's on Saturday the 13th of November on 3CR at 1pm. So if you want to, there'll be a text line where folk will be able to sort of text comments and things like that. If you want to message the page and sort of give us your thoughts and things, that would be incredible. We're pro- we're going to try and set up a live stream, but like I mentioned, we're just a bunch of volunteers. We've just come out of lockdown and everything is a lot. So we'll, yeah, do, we'll, yeah. do, we'll do our best to get something like that up. But hopefully we'll, we'll put up some posts sort of closer to the time about uh, venues that will have the rally playing and you can pop along to those venues, you know, density limits, of course, but, um, you know, pop along to those venues or have some mates over to your place in the backyard and sort of play it loud and have a bit of a party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rally at um, home. <laughs> <laughs> How can people uh, read about your work and slut- the Slutwalk Collective's work? Where can they find you? Look up Slutwalk Melbourne. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Yeah, and if you're interested in volunteering, like just send us an email at slutwalkmelbourne at gmail.com. 
and get involved. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lee, for talking to us. You can also um, have a look at Loud, Angry and Not Sorry on Facebook as well, which is the Feminist United Australia Facebook page. Thanks so much again, Lee. No worries. Thanks for your time. So, yeah, that was Lee Ward of Feminists United Australia and also one of the organisers of Slut Walk 2021. Come along on the weekend. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, We'll quickly run through uh, what was on the show today, starting off with the Climate Summit discussions. Yeah, so we started off by revisiting an interview that Rosie from Thursday Breakfast had with um, Pacific Climate Warrior Coordinator uh, Fulole um, Asuo Segele Tupuola, and they spoke about um, COP26, First Nations-led climate justice... And, yeah, a bit more about who they are. And then we spoke with uh, artist Zoe, who is exhibiting her second show called Sad World about um, exploring themes that we all kind of went through during Melbourne's lockdown. After that, we heard from Fahana Yamin, who is a prominent climate lawyer, who spoke with Democracy Now! about um, what's happening in Glasgow at the moment. And then finally, we spoke to Lee Ward of Slut Walk 2021. All right. And as always, please keep it locked to 3CR. The breakfast shows will be bringing you great content, current affairs, um, news items, interviews. Uh, just, I've just realised we've got like a minute left. Does anyone have anything nice planned for today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully there's going to be some sun so I can actually enjoy it. Yeah. At my lunch break, but and oh yeah, uh, a little bit of bird news. Um, there's the Collins Street Falcons are uh, fledged now, so there's lots of cute footage of them learning how to fly. Oh my god, <laughs> I haven't tuned in for a while, so maybe I'll just we'll be back amazing. I also, in other bird news, I recently discovered that baby owls sleep with their heads completely on the ground, so they look like human babies, kind oh, yeah. of. <laughs> That with their so legs cute. splayed out. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to have to Google that one. Google baby out sleeping immediately. That's adorable. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, hope everyone has a lovely day that's listening. And keep it locked because, as always, Accent of Women is coming up next. Thank you. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.